1 Kings chapter 19. If you find your way there, we are going to be going verse by verse through both this text and God willing Matthew chapter 14 to try to see how they're the same story. It's quite miraculous, really. And, you know, I mean, Jesus does miracles. There's that too, right? Uh, but it's the way he fulfills the prophets. It's just something to behold. And we'll see that again today also as we will definitely focus on the death of John the Baptist, the times of John the Baptist, and how they're not so different from our own. I mean, wicked men exist, and they do wicked things. That's not so different. Uh, Elijah's time is not in the middle of a civil war, but just after one by a couple generations, but far enough removed that there's a lot of animosity between Israel and Judah and especially between the uh, Israel and the God of Judah. That is, the rulers of the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, just consistently believe that if they're going to do well, they can't have the same God as their brothers. They just think they have to be different. It's not good enough to have what dad had. I need more. And so, you know, the king marries this lady, Jezebel. She's the daughter of the king of Tyre. I like to call him the witch king of Tyre because at the time, that's what he was. He was a pagan sorcerer. Tyre was quite a city too. Great place to live if you like to party, you know, want some good food, like to trade. Yeah. And so Israel's bringing a lot of the world's good into Samaria, the capital where Ahab is. And, and yet what's going on is the people are losing faith. Uh, Elijah, his story starts where he just gets kind of angry. You notice when the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, that's like not common for him. Like uh, Isaiah's got the word of the Lord came to me, you know, the word of the Lord said, the word of the Lord said, like lots of things like that. Elijah, there's not a lot of that. It really just kind of starts with the drive to hold to Moses, even though the priesthood isn't teaching it. That's the spirit of prophecy that begins in him. And I'm not saying the word of the Lord never comes, but he's certainly confirmed his prayers are answered by miracles, right? The drought is sort of how this thing starts, right? And then he knows who his God is because he knows the scriptures so well. So he knows his God will fight for him. So he believes. And this all leads to this moment where he challenges the false prophets to this duel, right? This is right before our text. Prophets duel, it's kind of a silly way to say it. It's sort of a question. Is there a God or not? Well, let's, let's do it once and for all. We'll write it down. Everyone who comes later will believe us, right? <laughs> right? And we got the science. Anyway, they, they do the test. 400 prophets of Baal, just Elijah. They build two altars, right? The prophets are slashing themselves, you know, wailing, bloody murder. And Elijah's like, I think he's on the toilet, probably number two. In Hebrew, it's kind of crass, actually. Now, that's what he says. Yeah. Hey, where's your God? He says to them. And then to make it all very clear who his God is, he not only has the altar there, but he just has water thrown all over everything. So no one can light this thing. You ever try to light a, a wet wood on fire? You get a little smoke. About all you're going to get. Right. Uh, so that's what it is. Who's going to do this now? And he calls out, you know, the story right fire from heaven. Sodom and Gomorrah kind of stuff, you know, a laser beam though. It's gone. Altar's gone. There's a pit in the earth. And Elijah has the gumption to look at all those 400 guys standing over there, cutting themselves up and everything. And this big crowd watching, and he just goes, kill them. And they do. All 400 of them. 
Was it a mob? Was it, you know, execution style down the line? I don't know. It was a bloodbath is what it was. It was a victory for Elijah is what it seems to be, a victory for the kingdom of God. In fact, according to the law of Moses, this is what must happen. We Christians, by the way, don't follow the law of Moses, right? Moses has wisdom. Indeed, if you find an evil blight in your country trying to destroy your country, you probably shouldn't be nice to it. That's the law of Moses, don't let the wound fester. That's the law of Moses. So for Elijah, this is ancient times, right? This is intense and it's death. And then what happens? Well, our story, right? Ahab, who's like this weird king, he's not really very gutsy for being as bad a king as he was, as famous as he was. He's kind of, a, he's kind of owned by his wife, if I can say it that way, which again, New Testament Christians, that is not Moses, creation, or Jesus. You know, that, that's America, sure. Um, but that is, that is not the way of God. Uh, he's, he's kind of a pushover. He's got to go run to Jezebel. What should I do? Uh, he told Jezebel all Elijah had done and how Elijah, right, he had executed all the prophets with the sword. We just went through all of that. That's verse one. Verse two, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. I, this is a fun kind of, you know, 4D chess one. Like, what's she doing? Why is she telling him? You know, if you really want to kill him, you know, why, why are you telling him? Uh, is she just trying to scare him to leave? Well, that worked. If that's what she's doing. She scares him to leave. But I think she really wants to kill him. So bad move, lady. Like, what, what was that about? But she does it, you know, and then he, he flees. Notice, though, her invoking of the gods. Notice her invoking of the gods. Jezebel's a pious woman. She's a religious woman. She doesn't miss church. She just goes to the church of I'm evil. Okay. I worship what I want to do, which is power, glory, me. Many other religions teach this. The TV teaches this all the time. Notice her invoking the gods though then. She says, so I'm invoking heaven against you, Elijah. May they do to me and more if I don't kill you by tomorrow. Ha, ha. You know how she dies, right? Thrown from a tower by her own servants and the dogs lick her blood. I'd call that worse. That's worse than being killed by a mob, right? Do we agree? Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. It's worse. It's worse. And it's worse on purpose because she called it on herself. I had a very wise person say to me recently, maybe I should stop cursing my own land before I think I can't work on it, you know. It's a really good thought. What does come out of your mouth when you talk? I told you that story about the lintel on my roof, right? I was sitting there drinking coffee, smoking a cigar, reading the Bible in the morning like I like to do sometimes. But there was dew or something on the roof and kaplop right on my Bible, right on my hand. I don't know, but I looked up and I said a pox on you to my roof. And I had to put a new part of my roof like within six months. And it really got me thinking. I don't think I magically did nothing, but I think God knows exactly what he's doing all the time. And he listens to us. And if you're going to be a doof, he's going to hit you on the back of the head sometimes. That's the only way to get you to wake up. Yeah. So that, coming back to the text here, uh, don't invoke heaven against yourself is the lesson I was trying to work on there. Verse 3, and when he saw that, he rose and he ran for his life. Can a Christian run away from danger? I think the answer is yes. Can you defend yourself? That's, that's yes. They're the same thing. The right to flight is the right to defense. Uh, it is very important for us to see that it's, Elijah loved his life. I mean, he's going to get to the end of this text. And he's going to say, please kill me. Okay, dude, she is going to kill you. Why are you running if you want to die? 
This is the human soul. It's not logical. It's just who we are. He wants to live. He doesn't want to die. Even when he says, kill me, he doesn't mean kill me. He means save me. But here, save me what? Save my life. Why? He loves his life. He runs for it. Goes to Beersheba, so he leaves the country. He goes to Judah, crosses a border and all this, right? And, uh, well, he leaves his servant there. That's not good enough. He's too nervous. He goes out to the wilderness. Why? What's he looking for? And who else goes out to the wilderness around Matthew chapter 4, by the way, and meets some temptation, yeah? That's not quite what he thinks he's looking for. In any case, it is indeed a fact that the wilderness is where God promises to drive his people as their punishment. That's where he goes. And he sits under this broom tree. I wish I'd dug on the broom tree. I did not. I have no nuggets to give you. Um, but there he prayed that he might die. If, if you've ever been one to have what's called suicidal ideation, just know that's what he just did. He had suicidal ideation. This is very different from being suicidal. This is like a public service announcement. It's, it's really important. Uh, most people, like eight out of 10 people, experience suicidal ideation in their life at some point. It's as silly as like risk-taking. Like you're like driving your car and you're like, oh, if I roll off the road, that'd be a long way down. Well, that's a crazy death right there. Suicidal ideation. You're not planning to die, but you kind of can imagine it. Being suicidal is you have a rope. You're writing notes about what to do after. That's talk to me, okay? Talk to me if you're there. Um, suicidal ideation. Elijah, he, he's just frustrated. He can't get it to work. He's done the right thing. He's repented. He's prayed to God. God sent fire from heaven. Why do he run is a good question still. It's a good question still. But what he does say is, it is enough. And Jesus, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. There's some repentance for sure. It is enough. What's that? He just just is weak. He says, save me. That's it. That's save me. Jesus, save me. Take my life. And the confession, look, I ran. I'm no better than anybody else. No bold, glorious man. And then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, this angel shows up. That's going to be Jesus too. The angel of Yahweh is the manifestation of Jesus before he is incarnate. Uh, He is embodied, but not forever as a body. That's what the incarnation is. Uh, So this angel, Jesus, as a form, touches him, says to him, arise and eat. Get up, which is always a fun pun for be resurrected from the dead, (laughs) and and then eat. He looks, what's it mean? Uh, Scholars will argue about this one for sure. What's the metaphor here? What's the metaphor? What are we supposed to learn from the bread and the cake and the broom tree, right? Uh, Let me suggest it's less about some new metaphor and more about remembering Moses. Let's keep going. Arising, he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. Now, do you remember when Israel was in the wilderness, how they ate bread from heaven that was leveled on the ground, manna, what is it they called it, all this? And now, here, look, look at the God who's still with him. Please kill me. I don't want to do it anymore. God's like, I'm going to cook you something good. 
You don't even see what's happening yet. He ate and he drank. He lay down again. The angel of the Lord Jesus, he came back the second time, touched him and said, arise, eat. The journey is too great for you. Now, I could spend the whole sermon on how the Lord's Supper is bread from heaven and the journey that is too great for you, for us all, is why we take it every week. Why do I need the Lord's Supper after I've been baptized? I already have forgiveness. The journey is too great for you. Arise and eat. I'll see if I can bring it back there by the end of the sermon. Yeah, But don't miss it, right? It was right there. We're going to go on. So he arose and ate and drank. He eats the bread. He drinks the water. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. He goes backwards through the wilderness. He undoes the wandering in the desert and ends up at Mount Sinai again. Now, one guess could argue about whether the food was capable of doing that. Could mere bread do such a thing? Get into modern nonsense. It's evident. A body actually can't live 40 days without food. Modern people have done it. Jesus did it without question. And of course, when Jesus does it, that's to call your attention to something. Yeah. Why is it happening here? Because he is being guided by God through 40. 40, the number of earth, four, and 10 completion. It's a total reality. His entire sinful condition is being carried by God for him, and as a picture for all of us, he is being shown that God can do anything on this earth when he wants to, even if you're, as far as you can see, the last one left. Because that's where he's going, right? He gets to Mount Horeb, and uh, God says, why are you here? Right. So you never hear his voice, then he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, why are you here? So he said, I have been very zealous for you. They've forsaken you. They tear everything down. I alone am left and they seek my life. I alone am left and they seek my life. How painful it is to feel isolated. You ever go out to dinner, sit and look at the tables where everyone's on their own phone? Dad, mom, kids. The date's the best one. They don't even look at each other. Isolated. Isolated. Not that the tools are evil, but those who use the tools know what they're doing to us. They're isolating us. Beware. Isolation. You're not alone. I alone on left, he says. What does God say? Oh, go out and stand before the mountain. Let me scare you a bit. Here's some fire. Here's an earthquake. Here's some wind. Same question. Same answer. I alone on left. We'll, we'll sleep down to uh, uh, verse 15 here. Uh, excuse me. Did I miss it? No. All the way down to verse 18. He tells him to go and anoint Elisha. It's a great story. There's there, Hezael, all this stuff. But you're not alone, Elijah. That's the key. Verse 18, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Same text that Paul picks up in that Romans bit. Okay, so 7,000. I would advocate he really means 7,000, like there were actually at this time 7,000 men in Israel who still believed. This is northern Israel, not the south, not Judah. We're just talking about the north. There were 7,000 families, 7,000 houses, 
and Elijah didn't know any of them, but Elisha was one of them. We're going to hear about him in a bit. He had it going on too. He gave it all up to come follow Elijah. Uh, So there were 7,000. The lesson here is the lesson of the remnant that Paul picks up in Romans chapter 11, which is that no matter how small you think you are, when God is on your side, there's more of you than you realize. There will always be true. There will always be more. You don't see everything that God has done. You can't possibly see all his servants in every place. Uh, What you can see is what's around you, and that's what you're there for. You're not there for the other places. You're, You're there for what's in front of you. In this then again, there is always around the word of God, purely given, read, believed, confessed, there is always a remnant. There is always a group that still believes. The day that there is no remnant left, the fires will end it all forever. Or he'll make you know kids out of stones however he wants, but there'll be a remnant again. He'll bring it back. This is such a doctrine of hope that I'm going to belabor it here for a second. This is such an amazing thing. There were 15,000 Jews. I said this a couple weeks ago. 15,000 Judeans who survived the destruction of Babylon. 15,000 Jews left on the planet. Many more today. Northern Israel that was swept away. 100,000 taken into captivity. Lutheran Church, Missouri, sent over 600,000 today. Are we united? No. Do we know we are? No. Do we know the gospel? I'm not sure sometimes. But... There's a lot of us. Lutherans in the world, oh my goodness, you're talking in the millions now. Of course, most of them ordain women and promote transgender ideologies. So what's a Lutheran? Fair question. Tanzania, though, is a conservative Lutheran country. They let the Missouri Synod talk to them about what we should believe, and they want to teach it to their people. There's 7,000, right? Seven is the number of holiness. Ten is the number of completion. And it's ten times 10 times 10, that's three times completion, God's complete holiness. He's always got it covered. And then that's what Jesus has to remember in Matthew chapter 14. If you turn there for some fun. What's been happening up to this point is largely good to Jesus. He is healing people. He is teaching. The multitudes are just chasing him. His hometown didn't like him so much, but uh, under the surface, this bit about John the Baptist kind of has percolated, and the news of Jesus' miracles and the facts of John the Baptist get back to the guy who did it, another man owned by his wife, Herod, barely a puppet king at this point, a sicko to boot. At that time, 14 verse 1, the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. Again, as Jesus is being rejected at Nazareth, Herod and John the Baptist's death, the report about Jesus, he says to his servants, this is John the Baptist. What a schmuck, really. Like, what a fool. What a doof. What is he thinking? Superstitious nimwit, okay? A goodness. And the actual guy's out there doing miracles. He'll have a chance to talk to him later. He just wants to see one. What a doof this guy is. Anyway, I, you know, <laughs> excuse me. It's true, though. Uh, uh, he, he says this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore the powers are at work in him. What you can see there is what's called a guilty conscience. Something in the world ain't going the way I want is because of what I did there, right? Or Shakespeare's like, methinks she doth protest too much, right? That whole thing, right? It's amazing what you will reveal to yourself if you will listen to what you are afraid of carefully. Maybe write it down. Come back to it in a week. You might find out something. 
about what you're doing. Herod didn't ever do that. He just kept doing whatever he did, okay? Um, and what he had done before, the story, he laid hold of John, bound him, put it in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Notice how genteel Matthew is in discussing what's going on in this family, the interrelations. I remember a story about the son of a very famous and powerful man who after his brother died of cancer, took his brother's wife. This is a modern story, like the last 15 years of people in power in our country. It's the same thing, very sick, actually, very sick. Um, he's got his brother's wife. And John's out there in the public being like, so you shouldn't marry other people's spouses. <laughs> right? Don't steal them. That's evil. And he doesn't like that. Verse 5, he wants to put him to death. He wants to kill him. Oh, that guy makes me angry, John. Uh, uh, uh. But he's such a doof. He's superstitious. He fears the multitude. I guess that's wise if you're a populist, right? If, if, you're, if the only way you rule is you keep the mob happy, then I guess you should fear the mob, right? That's a bad king again. I'm just talking about bad king, right? Do we get it? Bad father, bad man. He's a great example. Don't be this guy. He feared the multitude because they counted John a prophet. Then why don't you think John's a prophet, you idiot? Again, do you see what a fool this man is? He's here for us to see that. And then he's a sicko. He's entrapped by his lust. When Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of the girl he stole comes out and dances? And he's so happy, he gives his inordinate promise, whatever she might ask. I think it's Mark tells us up to half the kingdom, which just means anything, right? Ask for the Porsche, baby, right now. Now's your chance. You want to ask for it, right? That's what he's doing. He's boasting. He's showing off. Yeah, I got some cash. I work for Rome, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and then she just has to just stop him in his tracks. She's been prompted by her mother. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. I think that's Shakespeare too. Uh, she says, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. It's quite the party. King's sorry, but he looks around. It's quite the party. He's got nobles from all over, rich people from all over. They're not afraid about killing poor people, whatever. For statistics, right? So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. Verse 10. And his head was brought on a platter, given to the girl. She brought it to her mother. Then the disciples came, took the body, went and told Jesus. I alone am left. And they seek to kill me too. Now, if anybody could ever say it, it was him. Right? And it's true. And he knows. He knows. He knows. That's the beauty of Jesus. When Jesus heard it, what did he do? He acts like Elijah. He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. They seek to kill me too. I don't think he's afraid. I think he knows what happened when Elijah went into the desert and he's going to be both. Okay, it's pretty cool. When the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the city. So he can't be alone. He keeps trying to be. They won't leave him alone. And when Jesus went out, to the deserted wilderness where there's a multitude, you know, like the people coming out in the first place. He was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. I think it's said something like, when you walked in the wilderness, did 
the, sh- the leather on your sandals ever wear out? God provides. Verse 15, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send the multitude away. They may go to the villages and buy themselves food. Now they don't mean to say God doesn't provide, but in the story, that's what they're doing. They're saying God doesn't provide Jesus. So I know you're out here because you know God will provide and that you're going to the cross for that. We don't know that, but we know that. But God doesn't provide Jesus. Send the people to fend for themselves. That's only just. And Jesus is like, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat, which they know the Bible, right? They're in the wilderness with the Christ. Moses and Elijah haven't showed up on the mountain transfiguration yet, but they're about to, right? Guys, just pray, right? Can you offer a prayer for the food so it shows up, but they don't get it? And he knows that because he's already got it, right? He knows what he's doing. They're like, well, we got five loaves and two fish. What's that among so many? You don't know who you're talking to. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He blessed, broke, and gave the loaves to the disciples. The disciples gave to the multitudes, all ate and were filled. They took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who were eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And we could go verse by, or line by line, word by word through that and do more Lord's Supper stuff. It's definitely in there. The way that he acts, even the part about sitting down on the grass, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. There's a ton in this text, right? But what I want you to see more than anything else is how he goes out into the wilderness after he becomes the last one left and he doesn't get bread from heaven, he gives it. He gives it. And then, this is pretty cool. What happens next? Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. Wait, so he's alone on a mountain, like Elijah, alone on a mountain. What what is he expecting? He's expecting us to see what's going on, that he's walking in the steps of the prophets, that he is who they foreshadowed, that he is how they did what they did. And now he is here to do it more than a double portion of Elisha, who just kind of doubles down on all of Elijah's things. No, no, this man will open the eyes of the blind from birth. Now, with our last few moments then, what does that mean for you? I want to go on because what happens next in the text is quite profound. Like as Elijah is sent to get Elisha and Hazael and all this other stuff, Jesus is going to go down and go to war for his people. So what's going to happen next? But, but that's next week. We're going to look at it next week. So we're not going to go there. You can read ahead by all means. But we're going to roll back to this. When it feels like you're surrounded, you're not. Or you are, but by more of the good than you can possibly imagine. And that's just always true as a baptized child of God. The the, the beauty 
of the covenant of the New Testament is that everything that anyone in the Old Testament had is now yours. As a free gift, because you're a member of the body of Jesus Christ, which begins the moment you go, I am. And I go, yes, you are. And baptism is where you can't doubt it anymore. That free gift has been given to you that the God who feeds in the wilderness is your God. I'm not saying go down to the burning man in the middle of Nevada and expect food to show up. I'm saying that it is metaphorical now for us today. What was real was real, and it lasts as a story in our ears because it's true today. What wilderness are you in? Just know God's right there with you. He is right there with you. Whatever you think you don't have, you have it. You have enough. Have you asked? Are you asking only for your own passions? Because when you ask for another, I, I find he answers. Not always with what I want. I don't get healing every time out of it. But I do know he always has a better plan than I did. I say, why, why, why? And later that very same day, oh, 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 that was close. Later that very same day, he says, because. And I go, hallelujah. And sometimes that because is just, I need you to praise me and not get an answer, Jonathan. I need you to pray and know that what you want isn't what I want today. But a whole lot more is somebody else's face smiling these days at me. Somebody who knows Jesus and just wants to hear more. I found that that rarely disappoints the Christian talking about Christ. To close this morning, let me just say a couple words that I want to say often to you. Do you hear a need? Meet it. Do you see a hurt? Heal it. Seek the kingdom of Jesus in every urgency. Share what you learn here as St. Paul. Talk about what the word means to you and to your family with those who are in the narthex. Hear a need, meet it, see a hurt, feel it. Seek the kingdom of Jesus in every urgency because he always has better plans than we ever expected. In the name of Jesus.